Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Evolvepreneur After Hours Show. I'm your host, Michelle McDonald. My mission is to help entrepreneurs make a difference and navigate the messy world of startups or relaunch, commonly called a pivot. Join me today as we dig deep with our guests and get you the best concepts and strategies to fast track your business. Today's topic is profit from disruption. Tear down all walls to see the future of your business with my special guest, Michael Solomon, who wrote the book on understanding consumers, literally. Hundreds of thousands of business students have learned from marketing from his books, including Consumer Behavior, Buying, Having, and Being, the most widely used book on the subject in the world. Much in demand as a keynote speaker, Michael often is asked to provide briefings to global executive teams who want significant increases in their bottom line and who understand that it's accomplished by a deeper connection with their customers. As a professor of marketing in the Hobbs School of Business at St. Joseph's University in Philadelphia, USA, and an industry consultant, Michael combines cutting-edge academic theory with actionable real-world strategies. Michael's mantra, we don't buy products because of what they do. We buy them because of what they mean. He advises global clients on marketing strategies to make them more consumer-centric. Michael is a contributor at Forbes.com, where he writes about issues related to consumer behavior, marketing, and retailing. Michael's latest book is The New Chameleons, How to Connect with Consumers Who Defy Categorization, a title recently won the NYC Big Book Award in the Marketing and Sales Public Relations category. Michael, welcome, welcome. Hello there. Thanks so much for having me on. You're very welcome. We are excited to dive into marketing, into our topic. There's so much to uncover and we can't wait to get into it. So of course, congratulations on your book winning the NYC Big Book Award in Sales and Marketing. Thank you so much. In your book, you show how several fundamental assumptions we make about labeling customers are no longer valid. Can you expand on that for us? Yeah, sure. You know, I um, basically our brains, and by the way, I'm a psychologist by training, so that's why I'm going to talk this way. Uh, our brains basically are wired to put things into categories, right? Whenever we encounter a new object, a new person, uh, we immediately like to assign them a tag. Online, we love to tag things. Uh, and and, and that's fine. It's a very efficient way to absorb in, uh, new information because otherwise our, our little brains would just start, you know, smoking because they couldn't, uh, they couldn't handle all, all of that information. But there's a real downside to that. And, and that downside is that once you put something into a category, it likes to stay there. So, for example, that's, you know, that's one of the ways that stereotyping works. It's, it's putting people in a category uh, even if you learn later that, you know, your assumptions about that person weren't correct, we, we tend to find a way to rationalize and still maintain those categories, you know. So 
So that's the way our, our minds work. Um, and in marketing, we, uh, we use a lot of really basic categories and have for many years to, uh, to describe our customers and to try to reach them most efficiently. And so for many, many years, and we still, we still teach, I still teach my students the concept of market segmentation, which is one of the basics, you know, marketing 101, something you get for, you know, pretty quickly that we, we divide our market into fairly large, homogeneous, you know, somewhat similar groups of people, and then treat them all as if they were the same. And that uh, that approach worked really well for many years uh, back in the in the last century. Uh, but in this century, it doesn't work so well anymore. People don't like to be put into those categories. And, and what's more, they, they actively try to push their way out of them sometimes. And so when I, and I'll give you in, uh, some examples of the types of categories I'm talking about so you can see how basic they are. You know, when we think about uh, describing our customers, we, we, we use demographics. So we say young or old, black or white, rich or poor male or female. Now, those, those are very familiar categories. And yet, if you, if you kind of unpack each of them, what you'll see is that in the culture that we live in today, those basic dichotomies no longer really work. So for example, I, you know, I listed several, but let's say male versus female. You know, we, do you, Are your customers male or female? It's one of the basic questions that everybody asks. But mm -hmm. But how do you ask that question in a world where for many, many people, there's no such thing as male or female? Many people might see it as, let's say, more of a continuum, you know, or they would re they might reject uh, those labels altogether. Right. But, you know, the, the, the point is that there's, you know, there's 40, 50, 100 different classifications that people are using these days and I'm and those will continue to proliferate you know but but the point is that you know we talk about uh, people being non-binary right and that word binary means you're either one or the other so that's exactly what's happening with a lot of the categories that marketers use uh, another example is producer versus consumer so in the old days, we assume, and this is really important, like for new product development and so on. Uh, in the old days, you know, a, a company and, and Apple, by the way, is the best example of this still today. Uh, most companies would would uh, try to keep a big wall between themselves and their customers so that only when their product is really, really perfect, then the customer can see it. Now, that's that's what Apple does today with their iPhones, right? Uh, but a lot of companies, not everybody uh, is an Apple, right? Uh, most companies, I won't say most, many companies are starting to understand that, in fact, that's a very artificial barrier and it's very counterproductive because it turns out that the users of the products often are as or more knowledgeable about them as, as are the, the people who make the products. Thank and you. so... Uh, we see today, and what we see today is that that a lot of you know so-called end consumers are are getting rid of these barriers, right? They're 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 knocking down barriers so that everyday consumers are are becoming taxi drivers if they drive a Lyft. They're they're going into the hotel business, right? If they rent out their apartment or something like that. Uh, lots of people like to suggest uh, ads. They they actually create ads for their favorite products or websites. 
Uh, they submit ideas for new product designs. Some companies welcome those su submissions. Others say, don't send anything to us. That's a very, very different perspective. So anyway, I rambled on a bit, but uh, in the book, I talk about a, a lot of these very basic dimensions or distinctions. And, and I try to make the point that, that today it, it makes more sense to talk about a market of one where and be, largely, of course, due to the technology that's evolving, you know, so quickly around us, uh, we've reached the point at least when you're on when you're uh, online, when you're doing business online, uh, where we can literally tailor or personalize not only the, the message, but the product to each individual person, right? In, in many cases. So, uh, and we see this and, you know, with uh, let's say political advertising, hopefully we don't see any more of that for a while, but uh, at least in the US. Uh, but but what, we, what we see here is that with Facebook and things like that, uh, it's possible for you, Michelle, to open your Facebook page and see, let's say, a political message or a brand message. Yeah. Uh, and for me to open that same page and get a very different message. Right. That happens all the time. And so that is really the, the future of a lot of marketing is on the one hand automation, but on the other hand, personalization, because when we when we do surveys of millennials and, and younger uh, consumers, one of the number one things that, that they want from marketers after the product being sustainable and, you know, environmentally friendly, that's the first one. Yes. The second is they want a personalized product or experience and they've come to expect that. So we've we've created a monster there. But anyway, those are a few examples of the types of, you know, of things that you have to question even though they're so basic, we don't usually think about them. We just say, oh, yeah, uh, I'm either in, you know, I, I, I target men or I target women. And, you know, questions like that don't make a lot of sense anymore. You're absolutely right. A lot of what you said is extremely timely because we live in an age where inclusion is huge, very mm -hmm. important. And also when it comes to a business, thinking about what we would want to experience. So a lot of community gets into that. So those two concepts really wrap into everything that you stated. And I'm sure mm -hmm. it's something that a lot of the entrepreneurs can connect to because it's on demand and it's something that they have to meet to continue to be relevant and successful. Yeah, yeah, I like the way you put that. And it's, you know, it's kind of community on demand and they have to be, you know, they have to play an important role in that community and recognize that they're not the only players just because they happen to make the stuff, uh, you know, without any customers, you're not gonna go too far. Absolutely. <laughs> so I think a lot of what we said already really kind of ties into your website, michaelsolomon.com. I saw terms like consumer revolution, mindfulness, and even a different form of ROI, return on involvement. Tell us more on yeah. how these concepts sync with your messaging and what you want to promote. Yeah, well, I'm, I, I appreciate you going there. And I could tell you really did because you, you sure enough, I do have something about return on involvement. And, and, and obviously, I'm making a, a distinction from the usual ROI that we talk about, which is return yes. on investment. And of yes. course, that's still important. But, you know, one of the biggest tensions we have in marketing or in business in general is is the need for short-term results and especially for entrepreneurs to be so focused on next week or tomorrow or even the next hour 
Uh, but on the other hand, the importance of thinking uh, in the longer term, you know, playing the long game uh, and understanding that uh, that in, in most cases, you need to form relationships with your customers that don't happen overnight, right? Uh, but it becomes very difficult because your your shareholders or your family, whoever it is, is asking for results today. But, it, you know, it's it's like a dating relationship. You know, most people don't meet one another and elope that night. You know, they're going to get to know one another through probably a, a pretty long period. Right. Uh, and so that's an investment that you have to make. And, and I know it's it's easy for me to say that because I don't write the checks for these small businesses. But. Uh, you have to think about the long term and think about what are the what are the kind of brand building exercises that you can do that will maximize that ROI return on involvement. Yeah. And when you and when you look at all the major, you know, consumer products companies in the world, the logical, you know, the usual uh, choices, Nike and and uh, Apple and, and so on, every one of them has that ROI because what they're they're not selling a functional product they're selling a story they're selling an idea and they're selling a dream and that is what everybody needs to be tuned into and so you know my mantra is I like to say that we don't buy things because of what they do we buy them because of what they mean yeah. and, and so in any category you know it's 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 often easy to distinguish the the uh, the do people from the mean people because the do people are only focusing on the attributes of the product you know like a car that gets a certain number of miles per gallon let's say uh, but but the mean people thinking about what it means you know they're thinking about the benefits that customers are taking away yeah and every purchase that we make is a response to a problem where the customer is you know has a problem i'm out of milk is a problem as well you know uh, but everything that they're looking to consume has to be focused on some let's call it project or or problem that they're working on and if and if your product or service doesn't do that like if it works really well and it's cool but it doesn't satisfy any needs or at least better than you know other brands can do then it's just another shiny gadget and mm -hmm. you know a lot of entrepreneurs like to think that they 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 kind of build the airplane on you know on the as it's flying um, you know, but you you do have to understand the core benefits of what you're selling and understand that the the way that's manifested, you know, you might have a new product this that you're just bringing out. Uh, that may not be the same one you're going to bring out in five years, but it may be satisfying the same underlying benefit. Yeah, you've definitely said a mouthful. And I think a lot of it connects with the fact that we buy into the story, the messaging of the product, because there can be 10 companies, 10 products, they all do the same thing. But right. this particular thing, I, I buy into it because I connect with it. And it is actually solving the problem that I have. And so as you stated, it's very important to remember this, even within our own businesses, because that's how we become consumers. That's how we decide. Exactly. Exactly right. Yeah. And uh, never lose sight of who's doing the buying. It's not the person doing the selling. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so true, so true. So we have a fascinating topic and I cannot wait to touch on it. 
profit from disruption. Tear down all walls to see the future of your business, especially because we as individuals and especially entrepreneurs don't automatically interpret disruption as progress unless they're thinking strategically. So how can we use disruption to create profit? Well, disruption, you know, as, as I think you're hinting, it's kind of a blessing and a curse depending on how, on how it happens to you and what you, and what you do with it. Uh, but basically we require periods of disruption for better or worse to, to see changes in our society. So, you know, we've mm -hmm. seen, unfortunately, obviously the last few years, the pandemic was, I think it's fair to say a disruption. Yes. Uh, and, and what that, and what disruptions do typically is they 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 may not create big changes in in a society, but if they don't, they accelerate ones that were already starting to happen. So, the, and that's what happened with the pandemic, for example. It it didn't necessarily create new things other than face masks, you know, and and and, and uh, fist bumps and all that, but uh, elbow bumps, right? But uh, but a lot of the things that uh, the, the changes in consumer behavior, at least that we saw during the pandemic, were just kind of throwing fuel on the fire. Right. So we saw disruption, some some obvious ones for, for example, the, the way that many people obtain groceries. So people before the pandemic were starting to be comfortable with this notion of of food delivery, grocery deliveries, you know, uh, online ordering and then, of course, the pandemic hit and lots of people now are ready to, to make a change. Uh, so there, there are lots of changes like like that, you know, self-driving cars, acceptance of technology um, or, by the way, opportunities for new brands. So what, what happens in periods of disruption is that we, so to speak, unfreeze consumers, unfreeze, if you want to think of it that way. And they're because we're usually kind of stuck in it. We, we like our brands. We like our habits. It's very hard to get people to change for the most part, especially as they get older. Right. Um, and so uh, we we look for the, these opportunities. And that's why, you know, during the, the pandemic, people started to be receptive to trying some different things. And you did yeah. see some movement there, you know, where you saw some new brands, you know, that that started to be more visible, et cetera. So, so the thing to do is, is, is to understand that a disruption uh, is, a, is an opportunity for change. It doesn't, I don't mean to minimize that there could be bad things that happen as, as well, like people, you know, being really sick. Um, but, uh, you know, World War II was a disruption. There's uh -huh. uh, the Cultural Revolution in the 60s. Was, there are a lot of different ways to disrupt a culture. Um, but there's also a lot of ways to disrupt your thinking about, again, the basic ways that we look at our markets, right? Mm -hmm. And this gets back to what I was saying before about putting things into boxes or categories or what have you. And so one way to profit from disruption is, uh, and this is not very easy to do, but I can give you some examples where it's been successfully done. Uh, what we tend to do when you think about industries, we talk about, in fact, industry verticals, right? So you say, what vertical are you in? Oh, I'm in, you know, CPG or I'm in hospitality or or whatnot, right? So we have these verticals. Uh, and so what we're doing is we're saying everybody in that verti vertical, just like we said with consumers, every company in that vertical is pretty much the same, right? 
because they're all dealing in the same industry. But anybody who works in any industry knows immediately how ridiculous that is, right? Exactly. Uh, and yet, but what you'll see is that, you know, over time, an industry evolves its own categories and the in, and then the manufacturers tend to coalesce around that until there's a disruption. So I'll give you an example, the fashion industry. That's something I've done a fair amount of work with over the years. Hard to believe, right? Um, the, the fashion industry, as, as I'm sure you know, I can tell you're a fashionista by looking at you there. Uh, you know, there's, there's familiar traditional categories like evening wear, resort wear, casual wear, athletic wear, right? Those are, those are categories. And for many, many years, you know, if you were going in, if you were going to, you know, start, let's say a woman's clothing business, you'd kind of have to pick your lane, right? Right. You know, formal wear, you know, resort, whatever, whatever it is. And you, and then when you do that, you're immediately compared to everybody else in that little space, right? Yeah. That's your, that's your competitive set. Now, the problem is that consumers don't necessarily think in those terms, right? right? And what you're doing is you're you're accepting the definitions of what you make that others have thrust upon you. So what you can sometimes do is, is to, rather than to say, how can I build a slightly better version of what everybody else in this space is doing? What if I move into a different space or create a new category which might be, let's say, a combination of two of the categories that the industry commonly uses. Yeah. So, for example, and we were talking about fashion, uh, you, you have two really longstanding categories that I think I mentioned, leisure wear and athletic wear. Right? Yes, I was thinking the same thing as right? last time. <laughs> okay, and so, but neither of them was, you know, they are both kind of just plodding along, right? Until maybe five or 10 years ago, you know, a few smart people like the founders of Lululemon and some other companies oh. like that uh, pick up on this on this huge change in society that we saw, which was this increasing interest in wellness and spirituality and everything that yeah. goes with that. Right. And so Lululemon was, you know, really one of the first to really monetize that that desire. Right. Uh, in the clothing category. Um uh, you know, other other than the, the traditional exercise companies like Nike and so on. Um, so what they do is they they at some point decide, and I have no idea about the thought process went into this, but what they say they take characteristics of the athletic work category and some of the mm -hmm. leisure work category, and they combine them together to create a new hybrid category that is called what? Athleisure. Athleisure, exactly. <laughs> Athleisure, and which, and as you know, is is a hugely successful category. It is. And so sometimes, rather than just you know trying to be a little better than everybody else in one place, it makes a lot of sense to move to a new place. You know, we could talk about the automotive industry has done the same thing. When you think about categories they've invented, like sedans and convertibles and SUVs and minivans, you know, there's no law that says you have to compete directly in that category. Mm -hmm. And that's a very good point. I think it, it really encompasses the notion of innovation, mm -hmm. you know, change, uh, even following your instinct, because we know what we would have wanted. And we can imagine that there truly is an audience that matches that. 
And so we can target that audience and create this niche market and flourish in it because sometimes we feel right. as though a niche market is so small. Like in our mind, we're just like, it's so specific. No one's going right. to go for it. But in reality, we have more of a database than we could even imagine, yeah. you know, just step outside of your local environment yeah. even. Yeah. And sometimes again, by kind of stepping into different markets, looking for different applications of the benefits you have, you know, so what's an example contact lenses that uh, that monitor insulin levels for diabetics which is a product that that is either on the market or will be soon uh, wearable computers so it's a you know it's a fashion watch but it also gives you your vitals right Th those are ways that that some entrepreneurial companies can get in by you know, rather than going directly up, it's kind of like in a football game, you either go directly up against the defensive line or you try to do an end run around. Yes. <laughs> Love that analogy. I think our sports fans will as well. <laughs> but I just realized I used the word football. Uh, uh, I was talking about American football, but uh, yes. with the World Cup on, that's not a very good idea. <laughs> we understand. We understand. <laughs> So thank you so much for that tidbit. That is really going to connect with our audience. Of course, we know want to know how to get a copy of your book. Also sign up for your upcoming online course. And of course, connect with you to improve our marketing. How do we do that? Well, thank you for the opportunity. Uh, just go to my website that you mentioned before, michaelsolomon.com. Uh, there's some down, there's some free stuff that you can download uh, you, as you poke around the, the website. Uh, there is some information about my book, which is called The New Chameleons, and you can just buy that on Amazon or any other uh, book platform. Um, and thank you for mentioning my, my course. If anyone's interested, I've just launched a six-hour course on ramping up customer engagement. Uh, that's very important for small businesses. So uh, uh, you should see that on my website, but uh, you can always reach me at michael at michaelsolomon.com. Thanks so much. You're very welcome. Michael, thank you for sharing with us your tips on reframing disruption, thinking outside of the box, moving into a new space when it comes to our way of thinking and engaging with our customers, understanding their behavior as consumers, removing the traditional titles that we once had when it came to marketing, and of course, your online course. It has certainly gotten our marketing minds going and provided us the information to incorporate in our business. Thank you for being a part of another awesome episode of the Evolvepreneur After Hours show. Before you go, if you like this episode, we'd be very grateful for a five-star review and consider recommending the show to a friend or two. Make sure you subscribe for future episodes at evolvepreneursecrets.show right now. Until next time, and if you are an entrepreneur, make a start on your next great idea today.